0: We all need help uh, from time to time in our faith, and and I wonder if any of you have come in here needing some help and needing some strength, uh, needing to be built up, needing to be encouraged, needing to be loved on, needing to remember the truth uh, that you know but is so hard to act on. And to live on. Uh, this book is for all of us. And that's the reason Paul wrote it, is to strengthen us. This is the reason that God inspired Paul to write this specific book, is to strengthen us, to build us up, to encourage us in the faith. Uh not not only those of us who are in the faith, who have believed in Jesus Christ, but to bring those of you who have yet to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus to bring you into the faith. Uh, this is, this is going to be a good book. It's already been good for my heart and my soul the past few months. Uh, I think it's going to be good for us as, as a church. I think it's going to be good for those that you're going to invite and bring along with you in the coming weeks. Uh, I think it's going to be good for us next March <laughs> when we're still in it. Uh, I believe this is uh, a book that God has led us as elders to, um, to be preaching in this season and in this time. And my hope and prayer for us this morning is that not only is, are we as elders convinced uh, that we need to hear from God in this book, that I, I, pr- I hope and pray that you're convinced that you need to hear from our great God, from this great book of Romans, and that we as a church would be convinced and commit ourselves to regularly gathering together to hear directly from the Lord each and every week uh, about His Son, who is the word from these very words each and every week, that we might be strengthened, that we might be encouraged in this book of Romans. In my uh, study uh, over the past few months getting ready for this series, I, I had to write down several uh, quotes about the book of Romans by, by uh, theologians in the past whom have been uh, influenced and impacted by this book in our New Testament. And so first one I want to read was from William Tyndale. And I don't know if you remember or not, but a couple months ago on our 10-year anniversary as a church, you, you gave me a, a, a page from the first edition of the Bible that he translated so many hundreds of years ago. So that William Tyndale said this about the book of Romans that it is the principal and most excellent part of the New Testament and the most pure evangelion that is to say glad tidings and also a light and a way into the whole of scripture the the man who translated the bible into english says this is it this book is the book that, that is the highest pinnacle of the New Testament and the light into all of the scriptures. Uh, one of my f- favorites um, who, who wrote Pilgrim's Pro- Progress, John Bunyan, was so inspired when studying the book of Romans in that Bedford jail cell uh, that it inspired him to write that very book, Pilgrim's Progress. Progress. John Calvin says this if we have gained a true understanding of this epistle, we have an open door to all the most profound treasures in Scripture. This book of Romans is essentially helping Christians to understand the Old Testament, the Gospels, and how we're to live in light of them both. Uh, or Martin Luther, he says this, it is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word, there's a little challenge there, by heart, but also that he should occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of his soul. Luther had a high value of, of this book, Uh, in his life, word by word in his heart, day by day. But this is not just for great theologians in the past who are uh, long and gone. This is for men and women, children of faith like you and like me. F.F. Bruce in his commentary says, Very ordinary men and women have been affected by the book of Romans, there is no saying what may happen when people begin to study the letter of Romans. So, he says, let those who have read thus far be prepared for the consequences of reading farther. You have been warned. Now, I don't think that's great church attendance uh, strategy right there to say, uh, you know, if you're going to come back, you're going to be changed. You're going to be transformed. You're going to get jacked up by the Lord and the Bible. Uh, but you've been warned. Uh, for some of us, though, that we're gluttons for punishment, and that would actually want us to come back more. We want more of that. Uh, and that's what I hope we find in this, this book of Romans. And what I think we're going to find is that Romans is really a book about our great God. Uh. It is a book about His grace, as we just sung about. It is a book about His love. It is a book about what He has done to make salvation available and possible to us. And and this book was written by the Apostle Paul. As we open up this series, let me give you just a little bit of context in the writing of the the book of Romans. It's titled um, Romans because it is Paul's letter to the Romans, Paul the Uh, former Pharisee um, uh, turned apostle uh, who was sent all over the known world at that time to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, His journeys are described well in the book of Acts, the last half of the book of Acts. His conversion is described in Acts chapter 9, and he retells of it three different times In the book of Acts. And it was on that, uh, on his third missionary journey, that he set aside some time to write this letter to a place and to a church that he had never been to. He had never been to Rome. He had never, he didn't start the church in Rome, unlike so many of the other letters that he wrote to places that he had been churches that he had started. This was a letter to a place he had never been, to a church he had not started, to Christians he did not know their face uh, or their name, but he knew them and he loved them and he wanted to write this letter to them uh, because he had hoped to get to them one day. Uh, Paul was on his third missionary journey Um, likely in the city of Corinth in Acts chapter 20 when he wrote this letter and sent it from Corinth to Rome. And Paul was on his way on, on that third missionary journey back to Jerusalem. And he had been to many of the churches that he had started and had taken an offering from them and was taking it back to Jerusalem. Those Gentile churches who had come to faith in Jesus had uh, taken out their wallets uh, and given an offering to the Lord first and to the Jewish church second uh, for Paul to be able to take back to because they had benefited spiritually from the Jerusalem Jewish church. Now they are going to hope bless the Jewish church with some physical blessing and some offering. And so Paul was gathering that up uh, and taking it back to Jerusalem. And it was his hope after being in Jerusalem then to go to the far ends of the earth to proclaim the gospel. And if you'll read in Romans chapter 15, he says that the gospel has been proclaimed in all of the area that he had just been traveled in. And he wanted to get to the far ends of the earth, what he at that point knew was Spain. And he saw Rome as kind of being the launching off point to the furthest West Point that, that he hadn't been to. If he could start in Rome, he could get to Spain. And he could get to all of these other places in that direction. And so he was hoping that Rome would be kind of his base, kind of a place where he would be supported and encouraged and, and helped financially to be able to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so he's writing to them to prepare prepare them for this hopeful visit that uh, he would get to. Well, on his way to Jerusalem, in Acts chapter 21, a prophet named Agabus tells him that when he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to be bound in chains and put in prison. And Paul accepts that reality, and yet because... Christ himself told him he would eventually get to Rome. He trusts that through chains he would eventually get to this place. And he goes to Jerusalem. He's put in chains, he's put in prison. His plan did not go according to his own plan, but according to the will of the Lord. But the Lord used those chains, used that imprisonment to be able to get him to Rome. He appealed to Caesar and to caesar he shall go said the king and so he made his way all the way to rome even though he incurred a winter shipwrecked on an island uh, and eventually had to get there the next year he eventually made it to rome at the end of the book of acts and i wonder if there were some who had read that letter that he had written so many years ago and were strengthened in the faith because of the letter that he had written and who came out of those cities that it describes in the book of Acts and traveled for days to, to visit Paul and to help him on his, his way. This is the, the, the people whom he is writing to. Uh, And and so you can see the importance of these people in the mind and in the heart of Paul. And as we're starting this series, it would be easy to start in in chapter 1, but I want us to actually go to the end of the book. That's kind of a cheat, a little cheat, a little little, uh, cheating tool to be able to help us figure out what this book is about. So if you got your Bible... Uh, turn to the very end of Romans in chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a hardcover black one underneath your chair on your table. And I want to encourage you to look there with me in Romans chapter 16. We're just going to look at the very end. I'm just going to read through this with just a couple comments in preparation for going back to chapter 1. I want you to listen closely because I think you're going to hear some of the same phrases, some of the same words, some of the same themes at the very end of Romans that we're going to see in the very beginning of Romans. And essentially what we're seeing here is God's heart and Paul's heart for this letter, for God's people then and for us now. Romans 16 verse 25 then says, Now to him. Who's him? the lord we we see that if you look down at the very end in verse 27 to the only wise god so now to him the only wise god paul writes who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of jesus christ Now hold that in your mind as we flip backwards, back to the beginning again. Let's look at Romans 1 and that introduction that we see there. And this passage is really outlined by um, three different groups, of individuals and or groups of people. The first one is, is Paul. And if you're taking notes, I want you to note a couple things about Paul that he wants the Romans to know about Him, and, and whom the Lord wants us to know about Him. And so he starts his letter, not like you would start your letter, uh, dear so-and-so, but he starts it uh, with the from, from Paul. Paul, he says, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So, Paul, above anything else, he wants these people first and foremost to know that, that he is a servant. A servant. Not something uh, that you might be necessarily proud of in Roman culture in that day and age. Not something you may want to put on your resume. Uh, A servant, a slave of so-and-so. But here, Paul is bragging about, boasting in being a servant. I mean, one of the lowest positions that you could find, he's bragging about it. Essentially saying, Oh, to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul would go on to say it's the highest calling to be a servant of the Son of God himself. This is not only um, the title that Paul has given to himself. This is the title that Jesus himself took for himself. Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Paul's taken a play out of Jesus's playbook saying to follow Christ is to be a servant of Christ. And so Paul lays down his life as a servant uh, for Jesus Christ. Uh, This is one of the few places where he calls himself a servant. Uh, He writes 13 letters in our New Testament. Only in Philippians and Titus does he call himself a servant, Uh, something that he wants those churches to know specifically about him. In Philippians, we know for sure why, because he highlights the servanthood of Jesus in chapter 2. And we see the servanthood of Christ here in Romans as well. And this is what Jesus would call us to do as well. When Jesus called his disciples to him in Mark chapter 9, verse 35, he said, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And so Paul highlights that he's a servant, but secondly, he highlights that he's an apostle. Uh, the word apostle comes from the Greek word apostello, which means to send. Uh, it's a sent person, a, a person sent with a message, some good news that they are to deliver. And Paul was an apostle in the New Testament sense, w- one of the few. There were 12 disciples of Jesus, 11 of which were commissioned as Apostles, 11, because Judas, after betraying our Lord Jesus, committed suicide. And so those 11 disciples were commissioned by Jesus, sent out by Jesus to be his apostles. And and those apostles took one who had been with them from the very beginning of Jesus' life, or the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, Matthias, as one of the apostles as well. And Jesus himself, um, appearing to Paul on the side of the road at his conversion, commissioned Paul as well to be sent out with this good news of the gospel. So Paul is numbered among the 12 apostles as essentially the 13th apostle who is commissioned by the crucified and risen Christ. Paul is in, uh, goes from highlighting his servant position to highlighting a, a very high position, uh, one that uh, not many others have in this day and age as an apostle, one who is commissioned by the crucified and risen Christ. Now, Paul uses that title in uh, Philippians Uh, or in all of his other letters except for Philippians and the books of Thessalonians and Philemon. And so when you put those two together, this is the only book where he puts those two together. And I think he puts those two together to, like I said, highlight at first his low position as a servant of Christ and yet his high position to declare the truths that he's about to declare different from anybody else this is Paul's recommendation book recommendation to actually listen to what he's about to say pay attention to me I'm a servant of Christ and I'm an apostle of Christ I'm one of the highest but I'm also one of the lowest listen to what I have to say about this great God and his son Jesus Christ and I wonder what we would say about ourselves If we had the opportunity to uh, put something like this in our bio, what what are we highlighting on our resume, if it were? Uh, This education, these kinds of skills, these kinds of trainings, these kinds of likes, these kinds of dislikes, or is our identity wrapped up in being a servant of Christ, None of us are going to be apostles like Paul, but we're all called as followers of Jesus to be servants of Christ. We're all called to lay down our lives for his name's sake. And Paul does that. He says that he is set apart for the gospel, the gospel of God. We would often hear that referred to as the gospel of Jesus Christ, but here Paul, and he'll say that later, but here Paul is saying, It's the good news, the gospel of God. This is the hope for the Romans. This is the hope for Paul. This is the hope for anybody who's reading this letter. And he says that he's set apart for it by Jesus Christ. And in fact, that word for set apart is where we would get the word Pharisee. And so it's interesting that Paul himself had set himself apart as a Pharisee earlier in life to be a teacher of religion and to obey the law. Paul had set himself apart. But now Paul is saying, I might have set myself apart for that in my former life, but the Lord Jesus himself set me apart in this life for this salvation. That's important for us to note. And he says that it's the gospel of God, which God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. This is nothing new, Paul is saying. Paul is saying this is the same thing that has been said for hundreds and thousands of years. God wrote these things in the Old Testament Scriptures hundreds and thousands of years ago so that when they came to fruition, you would actually believe them. And believe that they came from God himself. And so Paul identifies himself there as a servant and an, and an apostle, but he also identifies the message by which he is going to proclaim in this letter, the gospel of God, the good news of Jesus Christ, which is what he introduces then in verse 3. After identifying himself, he identifies Jesus. Look at verse 3. We see concerning his son, that is God's son, who Paul says was descended from David according to the flesh. And was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom you have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations, including you. Including you, he says, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Paul was... Uh, identifying Jesus, whom he would go into great detail in the coming chapters uh, to define. But he defines him in in two ways here in this opening section. One, in his humanity. His humanity. He, He says that Jesus is of the seed of David, or descended from David. That is, King David from the Old Testament, because... In the book of 2 Samuel chapter 12, God promised David would have somebody sitting on his throne forever and ever and ever and ever. And Jesus comes as highlighted in both of his genealogies in Matthew and in Luke as one who was of the seed of David, descended of David. And so Paul is highlighting his humanity. He he was a real man, one who was born of woman, but born of the Holy Spirit as well. And so he doesn't simply highlight his humanity as descending from David. He highlights his divinity. And he says that he was also one who was declared to be the Son of God. Notice he didn't say who became the Son of God. Jesus didn't become the Son of God when he was born of the Virgin Mary on this earth. He has always been the Son of God. He is the eternal Son of God. He was simply declared and proved to be the Son of God when he died and rose from the dead. When he did everything that the Bible said the Messiah would do. When he did everything that he himself said he would do. He, he was declared in that moment to be the Son of God. And so Paul highlights his humanity, but also his divinity. He is man, but he is also God. He is the only God-man. And, when, and, and that was declared through that resurrection. And it's through that, and it's through Jesus, that Paul says we, uh, probably along with the other apostles, have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. Does, does that sound familiar? Uh, I hope some of these words you saw Paul mention in, in Romans chapter 16, uh, that Paul said, That Jesus, that God is able to strengthen us according to the gospel to bring about the obedience of faith. Paul is writing to the Romans then. God is writing for us now to bring about faith that leads to obedience. That's God's hope for us this morning. That was Paul's hope for them 2,000 years ago, but this is God's hope for us this morning. That in reading these words, studying these words, letting God do a work on our hearts and our souls, that it would strengthen us, bring us to faith that would lead to obedience and strengthen us in our faith that would lead to greater obedience. Might that be true of us as a church? that we would be a church uh, of people who come to the faith and then are strengthened in the faith to be able to obey. Not obey to be able to earn salvation, to be able to earn our place in heaven. But because our place in heaven has been secured and is being prepared for us, we come ready to worship the Lord through obedience. And isn't this... What Jesus said of those who would follow him, if you love me, you will obey me. Isn't this what Jesus told us as his followers to go out to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey? Having believed and been baptized, teach them then to obey. This letter is going to help you not only become a better disciple yourself, but it's going to help you become a better disciple maker to help others grow in their obedience of faith. This was written to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. Listen among all the nations. A letter written in in the first century to a specific place, the people in Rome, yet was written with the hope and the belief that it could impact all nations. And I want you to, to know, Christian and church, that in the reading and the preaching of these words in this place in 2021, and probably 2022, Lord willing, we can impact all nations if we will let these words transform us. And rather than being conformed to the pattern of this world, as Paul says in Romans 12:1, we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We can impact all nations if we'll lay down our lives as a willing sacrifice for him to use us. Including you. The only emphatic word in this entire passage is that word you at the end of verse 6, or at the beginning of verse 6. Including you. So don't just hear that as Paul speaking to the Romans, then hear that here this morning. Including you, Christian. Including you, church member. Including you, guest. You, to bring about the obedience of faith, to strengthen your faith, to impact all nations. This is what Christ came to do. This is why he died. This is why he rose from the dead. This is the Jesus that Paul will identify in such great detail in in the coming pages. But he ends with this, Romans 1-7. To all those in Rome, or as our brother Dedge said earlier, to all those in Rome and in Arlington and in Mansfield who are two things, loved by God and called to be saints. Loved by God and called to be saints. We know that the Lord loves everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him should have eternal life. God loves the world, but there are some who are called to be saints. Some who recognize their sin before a holy God and have repented of their sin and put their faith in Jesus alone for salvation from their sin and from God's wrath to be able to spend eternity with God in heaven. As the Lord called you to himself, if you've repented of your sins, believed in Jesus Christ, and you've followed him in obedience of baptism, this letter is for you. If you have yet to put your faith in Jesus, For the forgiveness of your sins. If you've yet to ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins, this letter is for you. Consider the Lord Himself speaking and calling you even this morning to repent and to believe. And to become one of His own. One of His saints. One of His children. To those in Rome, in Arlington, in Mansfield, who are loved by God and called to be saints, and he says this to them, as he says in many of his letters, as we just sing about so well, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wants his readers. God wants us reading this text now, to experience His grace, His grace in Jesus Christ, the peace that comes in Jesus Christ. And only those who have repented of their sins and believed will be able to experience that grace and that peace. This is what he says in in Romans chapter 8. He says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh uh, could not do. is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you, however, are not in the flesh, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you. Although your body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies as well. So then, brothers, we are debtors. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hopes that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of God. And We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the firstfruits fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly the adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies in this hope we are saved now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees but if we hope for what we do not see we wait for it with patience likewise the spirit helps us Helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, the saints who are called according to His purpose. For we know that all things work together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, Persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are like sheep to be slaughtered. No. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is, is the grace and the peace that Paul wants you to know. May we, as God's people, here at the Fields Church, know that grace as we study this book. May we be ever transformed by it. And if you're here with us this morning, I pray to God that your heart has been awakened as only the Lord can awaken and drawn nearer to him and that you would find he is not far from any of us. Let's pray. Father, help us. Strengthen us in the faith. God, if there's a brother or sister of mine, a son or daughter of yours here this morning that needed your help and encouragement and strength. God, I pray that they feel it palpably this morning, tangibly this morning, that they leave lifted up, encouraged, built up, strengthened in the faith to bring about the obedience that comes from faith. God, I pray that if there was someone who knew not of the hope that only comes in Jesus Christ, that they this morning, having heard of salvation from sin through Christ's death and resurrection alone, that they would confess their sins before you and put their hope and faith in you. Lord, we come confessing of our great need for you. We need you, yes, once and for all to save us and justify us, but we need you every moment, every day, every hour, we need thee. And so, Lord, strengthen us. Help us to be whom you want us to be. We worship you as only you are to be worshiped, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.